2: There's a lot going on in our world with the pandemic. Greg Wyshinski of ESPN.com joins us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Good morning, sir. How are you doing? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Well, you know about O.B. Clark's, which is a great blues bar here in St. Louis, but just in the last half hour or so, you put up a great piece about a Seattle hockey bar, and I want you to tell us about the Angry Beaver. <laughs> the
1: Angry Beaver is a bar in Seattle that uh, opened in 2012. It is. It was Seattle's only hockey bar, uh, during the time in which, you know, they did not have a uh, national hockey league team. Obviously that changed in recent years. Um, but it's been through a lot, man, you know, in, in 2016, it blew up, um, due to a gas leak across the street. Uh, a month later, it was completely robbed of uh, right down to every single last bottle of beer. They actually uh, took a bottle of non-alcoholic beer and smashed on the way out. They found out it was non-alcoholic. um, It, and it's on top of that, I, I kind of buried the lead. In 2012, when this place opened, he opened during the lockout. So he, he opened a hockey bar without there being any hockey. Um, and then, of course, you know, the, the pandemic hits, and, and like every small business, um, you know, the Angry Beaver in Seattle is, has been through it. And um, <laughs> But a thing that's happened is hockey fans in Seattle that for years um, treated this place as sort of their, their mecca. You know, they they all kind of congregated there and, and met their uh, their fellow travelers to watch hockey games, uh, have started raising money to sort of bridge the gap to ensure that the Angry Beaver will be there when the Seattle Kraken arrives.
2: It's a great piece, and, and I love it, and thanks for putting it up. We, we really enjoy it. But let's hope that the Seattle Kraken does arrive, and they, they will at some point. But are we going to have hockey arriving here, Greg, in the foreseeable future?
1: You know, It depends on what you mean by foreseeable future. If you mean by January 1st, no, I don't think so. (laughs) And frankly, if you talk to the teams for the last few months, they would have told you uh, that they were all sort of looking at middle of January as being the start date, even though the commissioner was very hung up on January 1st. Um, But the more it looks like now as far as where the negotiations are and just where the timeline is, um, you know, the the echo chamber scuttlebutt that you hear is mostly – you know, training camps starting after the first of the year, and then the season starting middle of the month, probably around All Star time, if they can, you know, find the agreement that they're, that they're looking for. Right, and right now, obviously, the uh, owners and players are, uh, well, that then doesn't want to call it a negotiation, but it is kind of a negotiation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, if they can get their ducks in a row, and and also, um, you know, if the, if the format of the season is is to everybody's liking, and and keep this in mind too, that you know, even though that they've been working with one. Idea, which is for having teams starting in their own arenas, Uh, the COVID picture has has changed pretty dramatically in the last month. And, uh, you know, I don't think necessarily the idea that we start in some kind of hubs is completely off the table, but I still think the main idea is to start in your your own home arenas.
0: Greg, do you think the season is in jeopardy?
1: No. No, I don't. I I think Gary Bettman wants to play. I think the players want to play. I think the majority of the owners want to play. Um, you know, keep, keep this in mind. It's my working theory on what's happening right now. I think Gary Bettman struck a deal with the players last summer to return to play and on a new collective bargaining agreement. Uh, I think the players made concessions with worst-case scenarios in mind. I think the players and I think Gary Bettman probably thought this was a settled matter. Um, but from what I'm hearing, there's a group of maybe like five to seven owners, some of them very influential, um, that'd rather not play. That, that think that coming back and playing without fans, they're going to lose more money than if they just don't play at all, uh, and want to get a little bit more out of the players before we come back. And so Bettman, you know, like I wrote today in the column, like I've seen him in these labor negotiations before, right? I don't think his heart's in this one. I think the guy just feels like they already did this four months ago, signed a new collective bargaining agreement. Now the owners are asking him to come back and get some more. And, uh, and I think that he would just rather kind of be a settled matter in play, but he serves at the pleasure of the owners, and I think the owners are – uh, adamant, at least a couple of them, that they that they get an additional deferral of salary at the very least from the players before the season starts.
2: If you listen to his comments yesterday, I got the sense that he was saying, we're trying to protect the players from suffering their own catastrophic losses by having to pay us back with the escrow. Do, do you buy it, first of all, hmm. and can, can you kind of explain that to us?
1: Well, I don't buy it. I mean, I know what he's saying. He's, he's saying that, you know, the no one's really sure what the conditions are going to be. And and it could be an even bigger payback at the end of this deal than they anticipate. But here's why I don't buy it. (laughs) When they, when they, when they negotiated this collective bargaining agreement, it wasn't done in a vacuum. It was done explaining what the best case scenarios are and explaining for both sides, what the worst case scenarios are. And the worst case scenario in this situation was that they play an entire season without fans. So it's not as if they the players, went into this bargaining, you know, with any surprises as, as to what this season could look like e- economically and, and still forged ahead with a deal where, you know, there's a cap on escrow at 20% this season. Uh, they defer their salary until later. Um, and then there's actually a clause at the end of the collective bargaining agreement where if there isn't a 50-50 split between the owners and players for the life of the deal, there's an additional option year triggered um, where, you know, the players will continue to pay back their money, money under this, this current deal. So it, it, the, the, the foundation of the CBA for the players and the owners of the NHL remains a 50-50 split of revenue. The only question right now is, do the owners get that money back now a little bit more or later a, a little bit more? And if it's later, um, and, and if they want more deferral of salary and, and a higher you know, escrow cap for this year, what are they going to give the players? This is a done deal. Like, let's not, like, sugarcoat this. They just negotiated this contract. They're coming back four months later, pretty much, under the same pandemic they signed the contract under um, to ask for for the conditions to change. Well, okay, that's great. You can make the ask, but now what are you doing to give – what are you giving the players to encourage them to do this? And, And saying, we're trying to help you out is not doing anything. Giving them interest, giving them additional concessions, those are the things that the NHL should come to the table with versus just saying, you know, it's, it's pretty bad out there and I think you should help more. Because they already help more, and then they sign the contract.
0: Greg, do you think that this could get messy between both parties?
1: Uh, you know, I don't know. It, again, like, I, I, feel, I feel like time's wasting, you know, for, for, the, for the owners on this one. You, know, the, you want to get as many games in as you can in order to satisfy certain sponsorship obligations and, and things like that. I think the players obviously, you know, there's always an appetite for the players to play. It's, it's one of the reasons why they end up taking a loss in most of these labor situations. Um, but you have to remember one very important thing here, which is that when you have a collective bargaining agreement, the L word is taken off the table. You, the, the, the owners can't lock out the players. I mean, they have, they, have, they have a labor agreement. And in the labor agreement, it says, we can't lock you out. And the players say, well, we can't strike. So that's, that's the big dynamic that changes here versus every other time we've gone through this. And the other, the other thing, too, you know, the one thing that the, the, the owners have kind of, like, floated trial balloon-wise with their uh, proxies in the Canadian media is the idea that they could evoke what's called the force majeure clause in the CBA, which is that, like, act of God, you know, thing where an unforeseen thing has come, and we must cancel the season and all of your contracts and all that nonsense. So, you know, normally it's there for a reason, which is if there's some sort of catastrophe like a pandemic potentially or a war, but the problem from what I gather from some of the agents I've talked to who have discussed this, uh, this evocation of this clause, you know, they signed the deal under the same pandemic that is currently still ongoing. Right. Like, like it's not like this all of a sudden sprung up uh, in August. And I, and I think the NHL, if they decide to try to go down that route, is going to end up in court and is going to end up with a very tough case to prove that this was an unforeseen circumstance when the circumstance existed four months ago, when they signed a new collective bargaining agreement.
2: Greg Wyshynski, ESPN.com. One more thing before we let you go. And I, I know that these labor discussions are controversial and uh, who's going to be good. The fact that the blues are a flawed team and you have that in a column, that's controversial. But the big controversy I know for you is the reverse retro. I need a comment <laughs> from Greg Wyshynski on the blue, blues reverse retro sweater. <laughs> Oh man, I'm not a fan. Like, I,
1: you know, the thing is, is that the Blues to me have had some very, very good-looking jerseys in the past. Like, I still think about the the Winter Classic one uh, that they wore um, a few years back, and the sort of baby blue, and, and it's just awesome. This is bad, and, and it's bad for for a couple reasons. One, because it was never good in the 1990s. The the, the, the slanted letters and the whole thing. Um, but also just like you're the blues and, and red, red is an accent color. <laughs> and I, I understand the gimmick is that you accentuate a color that hasn't been accentuated before on the Jersey and, and it's very hip and cool and stuff. But I mean, it just seems so antithetical to what the blues identity is. Um, and frankly, I, I would have rather than seeing them exhume the uh, trumpet Jersey that Mike Keenan killed, uh, release release this blues Jersey uh it's not not my cup of tea and and in uh the bottom part of my ranking when i did it a couple weeks ago i
2: I can totally understand that we don't have anybody that just says "eh." we it's one side or the other they there is a polar opposite viewpoint of this sweater (laughs) the the people that hate it hate it and the people that love it love it but there's nobody in the middle saying it's okay
1: well i mean i guess i guess then maybe mission accomplished
2: right like it's all (laughs) if
1: you know it, it's like it's like as a writer when you put out something and, and the reaction is you know oh, oh I read it but you don't want that you, you want you want to create some kind of a an emotional reaction to the product you create and and so if maybe that was the the goal in mind for Adidas then they uh they did a good job but yeah man like when you're evaluating these jerseys or any jersey you have to take in the history of uh, what's in the of what's in the rest of the closet into uh into account and I think the blues have just like oodles of better-looking sweaters than this one.
2: And we should note, Greg, that Michelle Smallman absolutely hates the Colorado Quebec jersey. I like those, oh. and you have those as number one. Michelle, what is that about? It's a
0: gorgeous jersey. It seems disjointed, Greg, to me. And But listen, really? I, oh. I also love the blues reverse retro jersey. I love the retro reds because I'm a product of the 90s here, and that's the blue, the first blues team I can remember loving, so I love it.
1: I feel, I feel like maybe your rankings are reverse retro, where you've got the bad jerseys on top
2: and the good jerseys on bottom.
0: Hey, you know, it's all a matter of taste, Greg.
2: <laughs> hey, it's always great to have you with us. Thanks. Hopefully we'll, uh, we'll be playing here and we'll be able to be able to talk about some hockey games soon. Oh, that'd
1: be great. Thanks for having
0: me. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard.